I think that people in those spaces should devote a lot of that time that they would otherwise use for backlinks to build like amazing PR, answer journalist queries, develop relationships with reporters, have active social media, make sure that you are featured or your brand is featured on sites outside of your own. And from there, you're doing what you need to do. Because Google knows if somebody mentions your site, even if they don't link to it, Google knows what they're talking about most of the time. Put that money towards actual PR and not trying to game the system by purchasing backlinks. Because as our agency has shown, like if you produce really, really awesome content, when it appears top in the search, when people are looking for content to link back to, they will click on your site, they will link back to it. Like you will naturally earn backlinks if your content is really amazing because Google's algorithm is so much more content precise. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I'm your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Rebecca Edwards. Rebecca is the co-founder and CEO of Clara, a boutique content and SEO agency based in Tennessee. She and her team focus on producing high-quality content for B2C brands in the health, wellness, lifestyle, and coaching industries. Rebecca has been in the content marketing space since 2014 and partnered with brands including Ask the Dentist, Ancient Nutrition, Dr. Axe, and Shirley Wines. In our episode today, I'm excited to learn more about her approach to creating fantastic content, scaling brands in competitive B2C categories, EE, backlinks, and more. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. At Positional, we're building tools for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a great selection of tools for everything from content optimization to keyword research and technical SEO. And you can visit our website at positional.com. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the Optimize podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know you've been in the space since 2014 and you've worked with some incredible brands, both in in-house roles and with your agency. How did you get into the world of content marketing and SEO? I kind of fell into it, which sounds a little odd, but in... 2014, I was like freelancing, doing various digital marketing, this, that, and whatever. I was a couple years out of college trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. And I had done this like personal blog at one point that really had nothing to do with SEO. I don't think I even knew what SEO was at the time. I just wrote stories about just different people I knew. And that project has actually been down for a while now. So it's not even live anymore. But someone that I knew worked at Dr. Axe at the time, which became Ancient Nutrition. And they connected me. And I think they were actually trying to recommend me for a copywriting position, like for short form content and more like story form things. My email address got sent to the wrong person and their content editor emailed me and he was like, hey, we're looking for freelance content writers. And I was like, I, okay, I didn't know that there was a difference between like copywriting and content writing. And so I said, sure, like I'll try it out. And he's always send everybody a test article that we pay you for and like see how you do. And he sent me the information and some instructions. And I was like, this totally makes sense. Like this is the most sensible and straightforward thing I've ever had to do. And I wrote this article and he was like, oh my gosh, like this is fantastic. And apparently I was really good at the beginning, which kind of is probably why it ended up being a good career choice. So a couple years later, they hired me in-house as a content writer full-time. And through that, I became an editor there and I did some compliance editing, basically 
making sure that nobody said anything they weren't allowed to say about supplements and stuff like that. And through that, I ended up with a managing editor position at Ask the Dentist a little bit later. And that was where I got exposed to more of the broad part of SEO, not just content, but how all of it works together, why technical SEO matters, what like subject matter authority and all of that kind of stuff has to do with why you get ranked or why you don't. And so during the time I was there at Ask the Dentist, my husband and I together launched our agency um, in February 2019. We originally started as just a really good white glove content agency and then broadened a little bit more out into doing more SEO specific. Um, Our content got a lot tighter in a good way. We also started offering like more auditing and strategy and stuff like that. And so through the agency is really where I've met a vast majority of the people that we've worked with and kind of nailed down exactly what we do and how we help people and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And so what are some of those like core services that you offer with your agency? Is it a full stack agency, like everything from content to technical SEO and link building? What do you focus on most with your clients? Good question. Okay. So I think that paying for links or at least like spending a lot of time building links is generally a waste of time. I think that there are exceptions for super high competition things, but we tried it temporarily and it was literally the biggest waste of time that we have ever spent as an agency. And we didn't do a bad job. It just didn't move the needle as much as amazing content. And so I liked the Eli Schwartz like wrote product-led SEO and kind of defined content-led versus product-led SEO. And I was like, I like that like terminology. So everything we do revolves around content. Most of our client relationships are like 80% creating or optimizing content and like 20% everything else, if that much. So we are now, I would say, a full-stack SEO agency with a specific bent towards content. And we are averse to anything that is like direct link building. Now I, we do like PR stuff sometimes, Hero queries, and we write content for those kinds of things. We're not focused on getting links because I think that we've proven over and over that if you are content led first, then everything else, including links will fall into place. Like we do technical SEO, but I think that people overemphasize it a lot. Yeah, a lot of what you said resonates with me, especially with like our earlier stage customers. They tend to ask me about backlinks and core web vitals, but I always tell them to like take a step back and say like especially in that first year like 85 to 90 percent of the work you do is picking the right keywords the right topics to write about and then creating fantastic content i think like there's the 10 to 15 percent of the work that is important and can help move the needle like you said in some like more competitive industries but everything starts with creating great content and i'll tell our customers like create fantastic content and then they'll ask me like what is a fantastic piece of content so i'm going to ask you what does it mean to create like a fantastic article or a piece of content for a website my philosophy of content is people don't give a crap about your brand please stop pretending they do i think fantastic content is straightforward before everything else when it comes to organic search especially top of funnel like very educational stuff people don't care you are in the bathroom or the kitchen or sitting on your couch and you pull out your phone for a few seconds and you're looking for one quick answer. So I think fantastic content gives you the answer you're looking for like right away. 
it's going to tell you exactly what you need to know as immediately as possible. And so a lot of our content writing centers around, hey, how can you write shorter paragraphs? How can you use insanely clear headings that no one will question what's going to be there when they scroll down to that point on the page? How do you answer? People also ask questions in the clearest way possible for people who may not have a very strong grasp of English or maybe read at a fifth grade level rather than a 10th grade one. And so everything we do is kind of built around that philosophy. Now we do some stuff. We have a few clients in the financial space and stuff that requires, I think, more heady knowledge stuff. People aren't searching for these things if they don't already have like a basic grasp of it. So all of those things are obviously like flexible and up for change as needed. I don't think that fantastic content has to be particularly interesting as long as it is informative, unless the query calls for something that's like really interesting. I have a personal podcast about movies and books. And if I'm writing an article for that website, people want interest. They want kind of like a more peppy or journalistic style of writing. But for most search terms that we cover, that is not the case. I actually cut the intro in like half of our articles now because anything that has the first H2 is like what is the keyword. There's no point in having an intro because I'm going to answer the important question in the first heading. So let's just cut it. And so we've tried to experiment with that too. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense to me. I think a big mistake like I'll see our customers make or startups make is they'll have like very long introductions that don't actually say anything. And I try to coach them that like you should answer that query very quickly in the introduction. And then of course, expand upon it with your headers. But like you want to give that searcher kind of exactly what they're looking for really quickly and then entice them to keep reading. And you know, I saw a post you had on LinkedIn, and uh, you've created some great content on LinkedIn, especially lately. And so I've enjoyed following you. And I really enjoyed your posts on content briefs. I spend a lot of time creating outlines, even if I'm like writing a piece of content myself, I still will go and build an outline for like what that piece should look like. And I always try to tell our customers to go and create outlines. But to you, like, can you break down what goes into a content outline or brief? And like, how do you use them effectively as part of the process to create fantastic content? So I am very passionate about a good content brief. I think that if you have a good brief, your writer is able to just focus on what they're good at, which is just writing. So the first thing that I include on the brief, like after the keyword is the audience, because that's the biggest thing that matters. If you're talking to a 35-year-old mother of, I'm describing myself, 35-year-old mother of two adopted teenagers, that's a very different audience from a 65-year-old man that works in the mining industry. Like there's just a very different way that you write to anyone. I'm also really big on headings. I despise opening up articles when I can't look at the headings and know exactly what is in each section. And so every time I outline an article with H2s, H3s, whatever, like that is one of my primary goals is to make the clearest headings in the most important to least important. I define everything that's not the actual paragraphs of writing, if at all possible. I do the SEO title, I do the on-page heading, all of the H2s and headings on page. I do the meta, I do the slug. I write the objective for the writer about exactly what they're going to be doing. I think that one of the most important things about the objective for our clients has been like, hey, our client doesn't think this thing that you might see in the top ranking articles, or they have experience that tells them otherwise, or whatever. Anything that's like contrarian or where the client's perspective is just really, really different or important in the way you write the article. I give a word count range. 
I use ClearScope to generate secondary keywords. I know SEO Surfer and a lot of other tools. I think SEMrush even does it now where you have all of the related keywords, you know, that help you cover the topic well. I include information on the featured snippet or the search generative experience. So I include all of that information on how to capture that. People also ask questions, top articles. Basically, what I'm trying to do is say, here is an outline and every single resource you need to answer all of the questions that people have when they search for this term. Because if you're writing a thousand words for search, you are writing 10 words for a hundred people. You're generally not writing a thousand words for one person. People don't read the entire article almost always because that isn't what they need. They need an answer to their question. And then you provide that answer and more information. Yeah. I know that you've worked in and with some clients and the your money, your life space. And this is where like I started my career. I spent like the first seven or so years in the SEO world in consumer finance. So we built out a large blog right, with topics ranging from insurance to banking and investing and credit cards. And so I know that like the your money, your life space can be very competitive for one, but also that like Google kind of takes extra scrutiny and there can be like a little bit more volatility in like the rankings for like a, a website in the your money, your life space. How does like a website being in like the your money your life space change like the content creation process or like what that piece of content or web page ultimately needs to look like? There's a few areas that we try to emphasize, especially because most of our clients are in the health space somewhere. So it counts as that. One thing we emphasize, which is probably, I think that this is kind of controversial depending on who you talk to, how important it is, but we always make sure that an author with a good bio that's relevant to the topic is clearly listed on each page and uses the correct markup so that it's clear that they're the author. I know some people think that that's actually not that important. It depends on who you talk to. Another thing that we've done with a lot of our articles is that we use amazing sources. And I have a hunch, I can't tell you for sure, but I have a hunch that the way that we've done this is probably one of the things that helps to future-proof the brands we work with against AI content, kind of just like unedited AI garbagey stuff just being published all over the place. I think we're future-proofing our brands by making sure that everything we do is really highly researched. I started that when I worked at Dr. Axe. I was a compliance editor. And so I read over articles where people had included a sentence about this essential oil does, I don't know, I'm going to use an extreme example because it's probably inaccurate, but like this essential oil can cure your cold. So I just got used to learning how to read and research scientific papers and I me and Google Scholar, man, we're best friends and anything that I could not find a source for got cut. And so it cuts keywords sometimes. It means that you can't say stuff that people expect you to talk about in some money or uh, health topics. But we like always go back to, I need a primary source. And a primary source does not count as WebMD. It does not count when you link something from Healthline or whatever. A primary source means this is a journal article or a like .gov or similar source that proves what you're saying is accurate. Healthline does this pretty well and one of their other Red Venture sites, Medical News Today. But honestly, even a lot of their newer stuff has been kind of lax on that. I think that they rest on their backlink 
profile being really good and like their brand name being really well known. So I think for smaller brands too, it's not just about what is on the page. It also affects the way I start the strategy. And so I've tested both angles of starting with like a cornerstone piece, whether that's about some kind of a treatment or a condition or things like that. And then from there, building out some of the major pieces, like for a very easy example, if I was writing for a client focused on diabetes, that first test would be writing a cornerstone article that just targets the term diabetes. I know we're not going to rank for it if ever. If we do, it'll be a long time. And then from there, doing an article, say, on symptoms of diabetes, if that has a different SERP than whatever. Well, I've tested that out. I don't think that's actually as as helpful, if I'm being honest. Um, We've had better luck with having clearly delineated categories still, but just focusing on like slightly lower hanging fruit. So for diabetes, I might not write an article on diabetes as a whole, but I might write an article on like supplements for diabetes or things that are like, they're still high competition, but they're a little more specific because I think those head terms, the quality of like what you get, even when people click on the article, that, that's not going to be great for most clients anyway. So I think it it looks to strategy and I, I try to look at it from a perspective of, okay, I'm writing for a client who publishes four articles a week, it's a brand new site or and it's competing with something like Healthline that has tens of thousands of articles that they publish constantly, right? Like when I worked for Ask the Dentist, we had a really clear avatar. It was people usually over 40, often that had had a very bad experience with a dentist at one point in their lives. For whatever reason, that was the people that we connected with easily. And so we looked for a lot of search terms that had to do with that person, exactly things that they would be looking for based on their own experiences, and then built out a a strategy from there. I do fall into the camp myself that I believe and agree with you that like authors and bios are really important. Knowing that like an actual expert that's smiling back at you up at the top of the page, you know, this is a real person. This is like a a real expert or human that's written this piece of content. And so whether it's a ranking factor or not, I just think it's going to improve like time on page, bounce rate, scroll depth, all of those other metrics that I think we know are ranking factors. And I'm glad that you mentioned sourcing. I definitely think that's important. And I always tell like our customers in the health space that whenever you're making any sort of claim, you need to link back to that actual first party source of that claim, like you said, and not linking over to like a WebMD or a Healthline as the secondary source um, of one of those claims. So totally agree with you there. And I wasn't going to bring it up, but you did. So now I have to ask you, what do you make of like AI generated content? Like, should we be using it? Should I use it on my website? That's such a good question. I think that there's a lot of nuance in the answer. Here is my take. AI is a very good tool. It can write sort of as well as a lot of copywriters. It can write content that's like editable to make it okay. Just publishing articles that written by AI with no editing or no real human touch, I think is a bad call. I think I said this on Twitter recently, but I think that what ChatGPT and similar tools have done is like, it's raised the bar for what's bad. Like what used to be bad was like completely unreadable. Now what's bad is just like boring and says something in 20 words that could have taken five. And there's things, in my opinion, it's pretty easy to spot most AI content. By the way, the reason I think it's easy to spot is that it either over explains everything in a very like clinical dry way that even I think is not good enough. And then I think on the other end, AI is also really good at writing blogger content that is awful for search. Both ways are pretty easy to spot. So I do 
use ChatGPT. I'm actually testing Claude AI as well because I think it's actually been a little bit more helpful for me in terms of editing. I think they're really good tools. I would not publish straight AI content. I'm pretty efficient. And so I've been working on something for a personal site that I started, just seeing you know how I can use AI to make my processes more efficient. I can ship an article, have it posted on my site and internally link it in two hours and 15 minutes on a pretty significant health topic. And that includes all my scientific references. That includes all of the process beforehand. But the way I've trained it is more like I have like a list of guidelines that I send it in every single prompt. I outline every article before I have it start writing and I tell it what the outline is. I tell it to use the clear scope keywords that I generate and send it the list. And I only have it write section by section. And I have found that like section by section is the best way that I've used it to create articles. And even still, still takes the same kind of effort, I would say editing as a like an average copywriter. I have a couple copywriters that take like 10 minutes to edit an article because everything they give me is so amazing. This is like average copywriter material still needs edited. Obviously, they're not including any of the science. Obviously, it's, you know, you have to like check and make sure they're not hallucinating and giving you false claims and stuff. But even with that, like I also when I'm using AI, I actually feed it existing articles on that topic and tell it not to pull. It does sometimes anyway, but I, I tell it I try to tell it not to pull any of the information it thinks it knows about this topic and only use the content of like these articles to like build the factual information. And sometimes I'll feed it like abstracts from scientific articles and different stuff like that. But it's super cool. Like it's helpful and amazing. And like 2005 me would have thought it was essentially magic. But ultimately, like I know that people use programmatic SEO, like do AI and just publish hundreds of articles. And, you know, maybe that works for a period of time. I don't think it's a good way to build content for a brand unless you have really knowledgeable people like working on your content and making sure that it's better than just what, you know, an AI tool spits out. And it sounds like you've built like an incredible human team as part of your agency. And a question that I'm always asked is like, how do I find great freelance writers or like people that can help me create content? So when you're looking for like a new person to join the team to help create content for your agency or for your clients? Like, how do you go about finding these people? And then what does that like hiring process typically look like for you? I think that this has been my one like biggest difficulty as an agency owner. So please take everything I say with a grain of salt. We started off undercharging clients by like a laughable amount. Um, and I, did, I just didn't know how to create pricing and, and all of those things. And, and so I've gone through the process of like figuring out, okay, I want good talent, but I don't have the money to buy really experienced talent. So I've kind of gone two ways. One of those ways has been moderately successful. The other one has also been moderately successful and both of them have essentially failed just as much as they've succeeded. One of them is I have a large network of like, young adults that I work with. I do like a lot of stuff outside of my career. And so I've connected with friends who were kind of starting a career, thought this sounded like an interesting one, but have no experience. And my theory is it's kind of cool if I can just train you exactly how I want to train you and you have no previous experience that you are going to use to tell me I'm wrong. It's worked kind of. Um, it's also created some like really rough experiences. But I've had a couple of really successful people. Like I have a friend that was our editor for I think a, a year after being one of our freelance writers for two years. And she like went on to have a very successful SEO career at another 
place. And actually, my brother is one of our freelance writers and has been since day one and is like, I mean, literally so amazing. But the other way that I found people also moderately successful, also been a big fail is... Twitter and LinkedIn. Like I would prefer just to connect with people relationally. Like I know I have some colleagues that I follow on LinkedIn that started work LO. Like I know that that's a big thing right now. And they like, you know, vet candidates and like do all those things. And that's wonderful. But for me, I'm like, I'd rather work with somebody that is not that great starting out or like doesn't have a lot of the knowledge that I really get along with. Mostly Twitter has been like pretty successful in terms of connecting with people in that way. I'll just do a thread and say, hey, I'm looking for freelance writers, send me over XYZ. And so I'll review their stuff. And I have found some really amazing writers through that process. It is a lot of vetting. So like I understand if you need to hire a bunch of people, WorkLO and stuff like that is probably a great way to do it. If you're only hiring a couple of people at a time or one person at a time, for me, it's been really helpful relationally. One of the people that works for me that is just my rock star. I love her so much. Her name is Sam. And Sam, if you're listening, you make my life better. Um, But like, she's one of the most amazing like people I've had come work for me and has a background in like web development originally, but also some graphic design and stuff like that. And she was like, Hey, I'm interested. I know you said you want somebody who wants to learn more about SEO and I would love to try it. And so she's a contractor that just kicks butt everything she does. I have had a couple of people write for me. They had had great samples and then they write for me and I find out that their samples are great because they're plagiarizing and it just wasn't in the sample I looked at. And so we've like put a plagiarism check into every person we review. But I think like, again, I'm not great at it in terms of the hiring process. I think it's been a a sticking point for me. So that's, that's what I've done. Well, that's amazing that you've been able to find like great talent on Twitter. And in my experience, like once you kind of build the freelancer team, like often these folks like tend to know other great people too, that they can start to like recommend and connect you to. And so as long as you're being good to them too, like you're like a good client to work with, they, they want to refer their friends and other people they know that can also create great content for us. So, you know, and I know like creating new content is really important. But how do you think about like going back to existing content or articles that you may have written like one or two years ago? Is that something that you spent a lot of time thinking about? Yeah, I think the longer we work with someone, the more I think about it. But we we kind of start out each client relationship. Number one, we start out every single one with one month where we do like strategy and and a lot of stuff before we ever start creating. And so during that month, we always do a calendar that covers 12 months, regardless of the length of their contract. We kind of go through like, okay, what's your budget for how many things you want to publish a month? And then I go through and do something for new content for that whole time. But also in that first month, we often will do content audits, essentially for anybody that has content that isn't trash already on the website. I literally have had a couple of clients who have come to me that like their content they had published was so bad that I have just recommended they start from scratch because it wasn't even worth it. Like it's never had search value. Google's never liked it. You're wasting your time. We work for a brand called Med School Coach and we're not the only people that help create content for them, but we work with them doing content for essentially incoming med school students. And they had 
I think a combined like thousand articles between two of their sites that we audited before we ever started writing new content. Because what we found was there was really great content on like one topic that was spread out over five articles that didn't need to be five articles. And so when we go back and optimize, that's when we do redirecting and like condense and have one page where there was five or whatever. So when we do choose what to optimize, I like starting out with that content audit because it also gives me an idea of like, hey, we don't need to optimize this. You can just get rid of it. Like just redirect it anywhere, like just to the the blog page or your homepage or whatever. And the content itself is just not worth keeping. And so I like starting out with that. Once we've been working with clients and are looking at their content, it ranges. I don't schedule out optimizations very far because I want to use like latest available data. But my two general ideas are if you've lost a lot of traffic to this page, but it used to have a lot more, we can probably optimize it and get some of that back. We may need to add, you know, maybe they're needs to be graphics or a tool or something more interactive or whatever, but we'll optimize that. And the second thing is if something isn't performing and it's been at least six months since we published it, like let's make it better, completely rework it. Like there's something we're not doing. The only exception to that is like insanely competitive things. Like if, again, going back to the example of writing an article on diabetes, I'm not going to optimize that. Like there's no point. It's not going to rank unless you're one of the big guys on a few, those kind of like exceptions. But for just about everything else, those two kind of things are what I decide to optimize articles based on. Yeah, in my career, I, I agree with you. I think it makes sense to go back to those pages where like Google is seeing them, but clearly deciding like they don't want to rank them. Or if you've got pages like stuck on page two or page three, and they're on the cusp of, you know, hitting that first page and driving a lot more traffic, those to me are always like candidates I would want to come back to and see if we can update them, make them more helpful, maybe re-optimize them. And a question that I'm asked pretty often is like post algorithm update. Like, what should we do? Should we like go back to existing content? Should we try to optimize it? What do we need to be thinking about with EE? And I know that like in your category and like the health and your money, your life space, like there are a lot of algorithm updates. And I know that like you spent some time at Dr. Axe back in the day and back in like 2018, 2019, Dr. Axe kind of became like the poster child for Google algorithm updates in your money, your life. And I think their website essentially got like axed by like 90% overnight, at least according to like, some of the different keyword research tools out there. So I guess I'd be curious, like maybe in your experience or the companies you've worked with before, like given how volatile this category can be, like if there was an algorithm update, like how would you approach dissecting what happened and then building like a plan for where we go from here? So that's a great question. So I'm pretty sure that the traffic thing that happened at Dr. Axe was in 2017 because it was not long after I'd started. That was a weird Monday stand-up. I was working there in person and we had this stand-up meeting and my editor, the guy that hired me, like stood up and he was like, so we have something to share. And like, it was just very weird. I think that is a whole case study in itself that one day maybe I should do because I think I could probably tell you a bunch of the reasons that they were the victim of that, despite the fact that they had like a large content team and a good budget behind what we were doing at the time and stuff. We've been at an agency since 2019. And since starting, we have never had a client 
that experienced an algorithmic update that took their traffic for more than like a couple of weeks at a time without giving it back. So I think that the fact that we write content the way that we do is a big reason for that. I think that what we're doing, the way we strategize what we write about and the way we write the things that we've chosen to write about, they future-proof you. If you are creating, I mean, as Google puts it, if you are creating helpful content, then you're probably not going to be the victim of like most of these algorithm updates. I've had, I think one client that has been honestly one of our most successful clients, they thought it was an algorithm update last year that like their traffic kind of went like this steadily over the course of like three months. And we weren't sure like what's going on. Well, basically I jumped into it. And as it turned out, they had done a website, like a soft redesign. This is like the silliest thing ever. And I swear to you, it is what happened. The developer had basically made every single menu item a heading to on the page. And like just for the ease of the way that it was easier to design that way. But they use really complex menus for like a bunch of sub things. And so I went in using some tools and I was like, okay, what's going on? And so in this case, I just had their developer fix that and it just started going back up. It was like the content wasn't even the problem. It was just the way that they designed it made the headings unclear. So going back to your actual question, I just don't think algorithm updates have that much of an effect on clients like mine. I And I again, we're in the your money, your life space. Like I agree with you on that. It is incredibly competitive, but we just haven't seen it be a huge problem. I would say if, you know, if a page that you have takes a large traffic dive, I would do everything in my power to make it not about an algorithm update because that's a very powerless, like, I can't control it. Like, we literally will go through everything to figure out what it is about this page, this query, whatever that changed it. And so like we had it happen for one client that a page, they had been number one for this for like over a year, had no problem ranking. Like we'd refresh it every once in a while, just in case, like just to keep it up there, lost all the traffic to it. And they like freaked out. I think it was around the time of one of the bigger updates that people talked about a lot. Well, as it turned out, the search term itself, like the intent just changed. And so we had to redo the page based on the new intent. Because when we first wrote it, it was like a how to intent. And then when they lost all their traffic, we went back to it and realized, oh, search intent for this is now not how to it's now like a roundup of products. And so I think that even if you look at it in that way, that could be algorithm related, like it is algorithm related. But our goal is to never kind of blame stuff on the algorithm as much as just say, if you're losing traffic to some stuff, like make sure your major technical stuff is in order, make sure that the intent of what you've written matches up with the intent of what's showing up. And then beyond that, like just same thing as we do all the time. Look at the top ranking things. What are you not doing that the people beating you are now doing? Have they added graphics? Are there downloadable things? We have one client that is like out in left field somewhere. They write about card games and I love their stuff. It's so fun. But they stopped ranking for something that they'd been winning on. And as it turned out, the only thing that the other people did was that they had created a scoring sheet that was printable. And the client base for this was like older people that like to print out and keep physical score. And so we just designed a printable PDF that was the scoring sheet, added it, and they started ranking again because the rest of the content was better. A lot of what you said resonates with me. I think like I've been through the algorithm updates myself and they can be extremely frustrating and also extremely exciting at times when like your traffic goes up by 30% overnight and uh, you know, you've set your KPIs for the quarter and all of a sudden you've blown them out of the water. But I, I really like what you said that like 
as SEOs, we can use these algorithm updates as like forcing functions to like force us to come back to our pages and our websites and say like, what could we be doing better? And like one of our customers went through like an algorithm update and they asked me like, uh, you know, what can we do to like get our traffic back and went through kind of a checklist with them. And, you know, I said to them, like, if you do all of these things, like there's no promise that your traffic's going to come back in like a week from now, but like you're just improving the quality of the experience for people coming to your site. And so when like the algorithm wins eventually change, like I think your site's going to be a lot better positioned to then go and benefit from that. And you might even see like a more positive impact than like that negative impact that you faced. And I, I know we could spend like a whole podcast episode talking about like the Dr. Axe case study. And I maybe like, what are those like one or two things that they just got totally wrong that like our listeners should definitely avoid? They went broad rather than deep. And then I think, honestly, I can, I mean, I don't know about this part. I can speak to the fact that like the authors on the pages, maybe were not the like kind of experts that Google's looking for, depending on what your opinion is on how heavily they weight that. But I think they went too broad instead of too deep. And then honestly, I think that they were designing a site for desktop experience when in reality, like mobile experience was what mattered. And when I say like they had a mobile friendly site, it wasn't like they did some horrible design. But like their paragraphs were long paragraphs. They used infographics and everything, but the infographic didn't really like wasn't readable on a mobile screen and stuff like that. That's kind of my biggest takeaways. Yeah, I think Google has gotten increasingly good over the years at knowing like what your website is great at. And so especially for like those earlier stage teams that we work with, like I tell them not to go like too broad in the very beginning. Like I think like the first... 30 articles on your website website should all be like pretty tightly defined within a silo or a category. And while it's like tempting to go and write about kind of all of the future things that might fall into your product roadmap, like you can almost dilute like your topical authority and topical relevance by, by spreading yourself too thin in the beginning. I would love to transition to like a quick lightning rapid fire round. And I don't come prepared with these questions. So, uh, you know, I kind of generate them as we're speaking. So we're going to probably cover like five or six of them. And the first question I had was on backlinks. I know you mentioned at the start of this episode that like, it's not something you spend a whole lot of time with your clients on, but for websites in like the your money, your life space, like are backlinks important? Like, should we be spending time on them at all or just not at all? A uh, quick answer to that is I think that people in those spaces should devote a lot of that time that they would otherwise use for backlinks to build like amazing PR, answer journalist queries, develop relationships with reporters, have active social media, make sure that you are featured or your brand is featured on sites outside of your own. And from there, you're doing what you need to do. Because Google knows if somebody mentions your site, even if they don't link to it, like Google knows what they're talking about like most of the time. Like put that money towards actual PR and not trying to game the system by purchasing backlinks. Because as we have shown, as our agency has shown, like if you produce really, really awesome content, when it appears top in the search, when people are looking for content to link back to, they will click on your site, they will link back to it. Like you will naturally earn backlinks if your content is really amazing because Google's algorithm is so much more like content precise. You're starting to sound like Google's search team. No, I totally agree with you. And I find myself, you know, reiterating like the 
broad and generally unhelpful, but nuanced statements to our customers a lot of the time. And then on internal linking, like is internal linking important? Is it something like you should focus on with your customers or your clients? Yes, we now require clients to have time in their contracts with us that every single month, like if we're doing new content or optimizing content or whatever, like we, I don't even think we take anybody on anymore that we don't do that with automatically. Um, I don't think that there's like a super hardcore system to it. I think that if you're writing a piece of content, there should be a bunch of places where it makes sense to link to content that relates to that category. Like it shouldn't have to be some big systematized whatever. And so when we write new content, one of the things in our briefs is what internal pages to link this piece to. And then when that article gets uploaded, after that upload, when it's got a live link, we just go into the old articles and add links into, sometimes it's the same pages, like just linking back and forth. Sometimes they're a little bit different, like where links to the new article or whatever, but we just do it every time we upload so that we don't ever have to do like one batch of like, you know, a 50 hour project of internally linking everything on the site. We try to do it like as part of our uploads. Yeah, I totally agree. I think internal linking is the number one thing you can do from a a technical SEO standpoint. So what about like Google sandbox? Is there such a thing as a sandbox? Is that something you've ever seen with like newer clients of yours? Yeah. I mean, I can't define what it is exactly, but it is pretty much consistent across the board that when we start working with a client, I've seen this on new sites most obviously, but like when we start working with somebody that has like a a brand new website, their Google search uh, console results always look the same. It's always the purple line starts to go up first and they get a bunch of impressions. I think that that's the sign. That's just what I tell clients. Like you're in the sandbox, like you, they're, they're letting people see you and kind of seeing what happens when people have the chance to interact with your content. And then the blue line always ends up following later on. But yeah, that's pretty consistent across the board, I would say. Yeah, that's what I tell our earlier stage teams that you'll want to see kind of that breakout in impressions where like all of a sudden Google starting to pay attention and then traffic will will usually follow after they go through that kind of testing testing sequence and process and then on tooling there's so many tools in the seo space i'm sure you've bought a lot of them over the years what's like your favorite tool that you've used or you find yourself using most often i'm gonna have to give you two i'm sorry clear scope is my favorite for on page i've tried a couple of the alternatives i personally have not liked them um adding clear scope into our workflow was literally the number one thing that like moved the needle for all of our clients across the board so having that as a resource has been amazing and then i love hrefs i've never tried semrush so i am i'm not like saying i've I I love it and I've compared it and it's the best, but I use it for all of our content strategy and I've been a super big fan. Use it literally every day. Yeah. SEMrush versus Ahrefs. It's like the Super Bowl. Usually like everyone's got to pick a side. Both great tools. Okay. Well, I've really enjoyed having you on this podcast. I think it was one of our best episodes. So thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, I've followed you on Twitter and LinkedIn, but I, and I definitely recommend our listeners do too. But if our listeners are looking to get in touch with you or learn more about like the work that you do for your clients, like how can they find you and how can they learn more? Easiest way to connect is probably Twitter, LinkedIn. If you just want to kind of follow what I'm doing, if you want to connect with us, our website is just Clara, C-L-A-R-A dot agency. And I make it really easy. There's a Calendly embed on the home page, and you can just schedule a meeting at your convenience. So yeah, but I would love to connect with more people on Twitter and LinkedIn and just have intelligent conversations about SEO, you know? 
Heck yeah. Yeah. And at a minimum, you'll get a backlink from us. So in the show notes, you'll you'll get a link back to your site. So all of our listeners can find you there too. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, This was a great episode. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what Positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out. 